0: Now let's turn our attention to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did not you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then going down to verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. He who has ears, let him hear. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus told a complex of parables recorded in the Gospels about the kingdom about the kingdom that he was coming to establish by being the king and having a rule and a sovereign reign over this kingdom. Jesus had come to call disciples and citizens to be members of this kingdom. But Jesus had done so in his coming into a world. He had come into his own, but his own received him not. Jesus, the light of the world, came into a place of absolute immense darkness to be a light of the gospel, showing men and women the love of God, the provision of God for salvation. Jesus was to come to be the very Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. He was to come to be the one that they would follow And he would teach them and he would love them and he would be their shepherd and they would fulfill all of the old passages in the old covenant talking about one shepherd and one people and it was a wonderful group the Lord was putting together. And this was what he came to do was to sow in the world nothing but good seed. And the... Offspring of that seed, or I should say, the upspring of that seed, are believers. The scriptures call them there in the explanation the children of God, the sons of God, the children of God. They're the children of light, they are the children of the kingdom, they are the children that have been born from above by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God, they have been born into the kingdom. As Jesus explained in John chapter 3. But in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to a group of people and He says, You are of your father, the devil. There is an offspring or an upspring of men and women on earth, in the field, who are the sons, the daughters of Satan. Satan had come into the field, into the world, to do nothing but sow tares, weeds, darnel, from the first day in the garden all the way through to the end of history. We'll find the snake at work. The dragon, the scorpion. The one who bears the poison. And that's exactly what these weeds were. These weeds were Darnell. Even Jerome, who lived in the church in the 4th century, over 300 years after Christ, and lived for a good long time in Palestine, where he did his work of Scripture translation and Scripture study, especially studying the Hebrew. St. Jerome says that this was taking place even in his day. He observed it. He would see these tares, these weeds, this darnel. And what they were, they were a plant that would be sown in the field and it would grow up right alongside the wheat. And it would look like the wheat. Largely indistinguishable from the wheat until the maturity took place in the plant. When the head, when the ear, when the corn began to manifest itself. And these darnel were not the full, rich, voluptuous grain of the harvest. But they were tiny, little, beady like seeds that were dark and were Noxious. In fact, all they could do with them was use them as chicken feed. And if they got baked into the bread, they were poisonous. That's what the serpent's been all about: is to put poison, to put death, to put condemnation, to put wrath, to put curse. Into God's people. Sometimes Satan knows he doesn't, he is not able to to do anything to God's people, for they are chosen from the foundation of the world, they are beloved, they are blessed, they are endowed with the Spirit, they're given every benefit, they're guaranteed a very eternal life. You can't do a thing about them, but he can put the weeds the tares, the darnel in there with them that will entangle them at the root. And you don't have to read the works of Jesus very long to understand Jesus had a lot to say about the relationship between root and fruit. If the root is bitter and poisonous, the fruit is bitter. The fruit is worthless. If the root is a root of righteousness, it will bear forth the fruit of the Spirit. It will bring forth the fruits of holiness, of good works. And that is precisely what Jesus is teaching. For the time being, they'll grow up together. When you look into the field of the young plants, you may not be able to tell the difference between the wheat with the root of righteousness. Because the fruit has not matured yet. But the bitter root, the poisonous root, the noxious root, is going to feed the darnel until when the fruit begins to appear in the grain, you'll be able to see the difference. They'll grow up together, side by side, the works of light and the works of darkness, the fruit of the Spirit, and the bitterness of Satan. I love the way the Scriptures did both the telling of the parable and in the explanation Jesus gives. By the way, don't you think this is a marvelous parable? It takes all the guesswork out of it. You hear parables taught a lot of times and they're saying, well, this is this and this is that and this could be that, but it doesn't represent it exactly and you know, it's analogous to, but it's different from... And you know, they don't have to do that with this one. Jesus just spells out in about nine or ten ways exactly what is what. The enemy, he said is Satan, the liar, the deceiver, the slanderer, the murderer, the destroyer, the accuser of the brethren. He's at work. And he's at work doing everything he can to destroy the people of God. And the reason is, the reason he's trying to destroy the people of God is because he has a destiny that is determined. And his offspring, his upspring, his children, called by the Apostle Paul, the children of wrath, which we all were, in time past, without Christ and without God and without hope in the world, in the field. But Satan's day of judgment is certain. And so is the destiny of the children of light. They are bound one day, the Scripture says, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. It's interesting that the people that will be caught in the harvest are the people who have followed Satan in his lawlessness. There in verse 41 lawlessness it's fascinating to me how the word of God just covers so many little details things that we don't really think about and things sometimes we don't even think we need to know about but this very act that Satan did sowing the darnel in the wheat field of Christ was a violation of the law it was a lawless deed Leviticus 19, 19 says, You shall not, thou shalt not sow two kinds of seed in the same field. Everything Satan does is insidious, hateful, destructive. Satan is trying his dead level best to get us all sent to hell. And by God's grace and mercy, A great multitude which no one can number will not have that destiny but instead will enjoy eternal life. The parable is pretty simple. It's a a judgment parable. It's a harvest parable. It's talking about what goes on now and how it has implications for all eternity for individual souls. Wheat, the children of God, and tears the children of wrath, the children of Satan. And Jesus never deviates and never backtracks on this view of the human condition. Jesus' thinking is always binary. It's always one or the other. It's either saved or lost. It's either heaven-bound or hell-bound. It is either good and righteous or it is wicked and abominable we we like to think in things are in the gray area in between the black and the white and some things are but not your eternal destiny let me close by just reading a couple of passages I'll turn over just a few chapters in Matthew Jesus taught this parable rather early in his ministry when he was laying out the parameters of the kingdom of God and the nature of his work on earth in sowing the good seed. And then this particular discourse by Christ comes at the end of his earthly ministry. And so he's talking in quite a a long discourse here. I'll pick it up in the middle When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. Remember the angels are the reapers. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. Remember He's talking about a kingdom. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. Remember He's talking about the world, the field, all the peoples. And He will separate people one from the other. This is a divine discrimination a great assize a great judgment there won't be a middle ground in fact the imagery comes right out of Ezekiel chapter 34 where there's a picture of the shepherd the good shepherd ultimately we learn who is dividing his sheep from his goats and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates his sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom is for us. It's to give us a righteous rule where we don't have to live in this rotten world with all of the corruption and the violence and the oppression of our souls, with the murder and the rape and the robbing and the cheating and the stealing. And all of the things that we put up with, all the hurt and all of the abuse, God's preparing a righteous kingdom. A kingdom wherein dwells righteousness. So He'll say to those on His right, come enter in. You that are blessed, my Father, inherit the kingdom. What do you have to do to inherit something? Be an heir. A son is an heir. A child is an heir. That's what you have to be to inherit the kingdom of God. As we've seen in several parables past, not a lot of works, not a lot of righteousness, not your own goodness, but just become a child. Come in childlike faith and He will receive you and you will be born again and you'll be brought into His family by birth. But then Jesus continues. Then He will say to those on His left, depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's interesting, the the language is pretty vivid, isn't it? It's bound and burned. Some people have taken a lot of comfort in some evangelical preachers over the last generation that's tried to comfort everybody with, oh, don't worry about it. There's not an everlasting fire. There's not an everlasting hell. There's not a place of eternal torment. There's not a, a place that God has fixed for, for the unbeliever and those who mock God and those who will not obey God and those that hate God and those that want to be far from God. There, there's no, you're just, when you die, it's all over, it's annihilation. You just are erased from memory. You're not in any kind of suffering. You're you're not in any kind of mental and spiritual anguish with respect to God. You just simply cease to exist. Poof. You go outside the reality of God. You go somewhere where God is not or you just cease to exist altogether. And a lot of people have taken comfort in that. Well, you know, if if I'm not really going to heaven, at least I know there's no hell. And I'll just cease to exist. But the Bible says very clearly over and over, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all give an account. We will all be arraigned there for a hearing. We will all be subject to the sentence that the absolute righteous judge will give us. You know, I don't know why anybody professing to be a believer would take any comfort in the doctrine of annihilation of the soul. What Christian would love to be in a place throughout all eternity that he's, he's totally unaware of God? He doesn't know God in His glory. He doesn't know God in His majesty. He doesn't know God in His brilliance. He doesn't understand and believe and live in the presence of life, the fullness of joy. doesn't know Jesus Christ never sees him face to face, never becomes like him as he is, never enjoys any of the joys, just glad to know that I'm done for and there's no more me and I don't have to suffer anything. Some have hypothesized that Jesus' teaching is highly figurative and highly um, analogous to Something without it being much of a reality. And unfortunately, the Apostle Paul was not brought up to speed on that hermeneutic. So when he came time to write one of his very first letters, here's how the Apostle Paul sets forth this harvest day. Let me read it in conclusion. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. That's the gospel. You believe the gospel, he tells these Christians at Thessalonica. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work. I just add in there every fruit bearing of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear.